episode this week looks like i'm going to be completely out of the state working um doing this really cool field job with a wonderful candidate uh i highly like i said uh on the last episode get involved if you can do what you can to participate in your politics wherever you can and i'm taking that just as seriously as i tell everybody to take it seriously (laughs) uh so instead of doing the normal episode we're going to do is we're going to be talking to uh chris uh I'm just going to let you, like, introduce yourself. Please, go ahead. Go ahead. Hello, I'm Chris, uh, short for Christine Conger. Uh, I play Clove in the game. And, uh, yeah, I've known Jacob for a long time. That's kind of how I got involved. And um, I'm a bicycle mechanic by day and then a theater and film actor also often by day. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a very... Uh unique resume of things is just like, yeah, I spend my days either acting or repairing bicycles. <laughs> I always forget that's what you do for, like, work. Yeah, right? That, that that completely skips my mind as I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm sure Chris is doing some cool show or whatever, and then, then it'll just be, like, grizzled, almost almost greaser energy coming off of you. It's... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a job that I expect that I would have guessed that I'd have. But it really makes sense, and I really enjoy it. So it's, it's good. I mean, that's the best you can ask for. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I've done some real weird jobs. Yeah. Um, uh, you. I've been there for a lot you've of them. Known about them. Yeah, you've seen me fail miserably. At a lot when of we're jobs. like, Jacob, don't work on a cruise ship. This is an abject, terrible idea. And you're like, I'm gonna work yeah, on a cruise ship. And then you're like, I got marooned. Yeah, what do you mean it's a bad idea? They interviewed me in a hotel room on the fourth floor of a seven-floor building. Like, what's weird about that? <laughs> and made you buy your own clothing for an uniform. That's not even... That's standard for the industry, which I know, is so and crazy. that's awful. Yeah, it's... Don't... My, I, It's crazy to say that a pet project of mine is maritime law. <laughs> you get marooned by a cruise company, and maritime law becomes real important to you real fast. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I just, I guess to start, what I'm really curious, what I'm what I'm most curious about is, because we've talked about it a little bit, is where kind of Clove came from. Because more than any other character given, uh, Clove came fully developed. <laughs> Clove might as well have just been a character in a novel that you would like pulled out and dropped in front of me. So where did uh, Clove, where did that come from? My multi-page lore with image references. Uh, Your lore, the image, the to so for, I just for everybody listening, I went through and wrote because it's a you know it's a brand new world that myself and Alex made together. I went through and wrote out these documents for every performer. Uh, that way they could see what you know was in the world, what they what they kind of knew already. They could have place to ask questions about, and they could kind of casually drop lore to make it feel more integrated into the universe. I believe Chris's was about two-ish pages, maybe, maybe three. I think it might have teetered onto the third page. Mm-hmm. Chris's document to me with the background of their character was about five to six pages, <laughs> easily doubling the amount of information I gave them. I have, I got it at like 11 o'clock at night my time too, so I've just been all day working on this. I'm super exhausted, and then just like, just take a look at this when you get a chance. And it's six straight pages of photo reference points of just elaborate super elaborate lore tying into like hundreds of years worth of history uh yeah where did where did, where i guess how did you start working on that what did how did that process happen it's such a it's very elaborate so yeah. i'm very curious as to where that came from um well that's i think what i love about like these kinds of games and what i really love about like acting and stuff too is is making the character and coming up with all the details and stuff Mm -hmm. and that's really fun for me to do just because it's like kind of a fun like research project and then 
it also makes it easier yeah. when you're playing just to have that framework and be able to kind of be more freeform in the moment. So, um, clove tabaxi usually have some like a clan um, that they come from, and so that's kind of where I started. Was I'd never played a tabaxi before, so that's why I was I wanted to in this game, and um, so I kind of started there. And I don't know where the specific idea came from. Uh, perhaps the other brands in the Taco Bell umbrella. See if you can guess which one. <laughs> Clove comes from the Silver Archipelago, uh, which is a small island chain. Um, and their clan is the clan of the Big Catch, uh, part of a five-clan community called uh, the, the Five-Piece Sea Share. Uh, like, I, I got to bring up the document to remember the. Like, Please bring up the document to get this right. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I will say when I, after while reading this, I, I the first time I read this, I actually called Chris and just went, "What is this? Like, <laughs> I love this, but like, what is this?" Uh, and I just on the phone with them had to go through point by point and be like, "We can keep this. We can't keep this. We can keep this. We can't keep this." Uh, thank you. I love you. This is so great, but. Come on now. It was just the mood of the entire phone call. I understand. I almost started a separate pantheon that you were like, we, we, no. That was the hardest I vetoed anything was just, because I hate saying no. Like as a DM, I feel like you don't want to ever say no. You want to just go, oh, you want to do this? Well, this is how you do that. Like you always try to pivot it. And then you fully pitched a pantheon uh, with only one god in the pantheon that you had referenced. Yes. If I remember properly, I believe there was only one. You're just like, they're a part of this pantheon, which is its totally other thing. <laughs> and Citrina. it was like hell week for me. Yes. Yes. You, the three-faced goddess of lemon, malt vinegar, and tartar sauce. Sort of mm -hmm. like a maiden mother crone type uh, archetype. It's just talking about it is giving me the, 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 the back sweats I got at the moment of reading it. Of just, uh, it, I mean, it's a great, it's such a good idea. And it was uh, like, we don't have time. I'm not building another. That's fair. <laughs> like I can't you you let it. me sneak her into the, the kind of pantheon of, uh, of just like my own personal God. So yeah. Yeah. I, she works. became an actual member of the regular of the of basically the only pantheon in the world because <laughs> Clo I was Clo uh, not especially religious so it's more just like a you know there's like a statue yeah. in the kitchen where she grew up or where they grew up and you know it's uh, I, it doesn't I really it doesn't like come up that, too often no. I just like the idea <laughs> yeah but honestly I really like the idea that you have this more passive relationship to the religion. Mm -hmm. It's why I was not okay with just making a whole nother because <laughs> you didn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you weren't integral to your character for you to be hyper-religious yeah. or anything like that. So having this other, all this information cleared out wasn't worthwhile, but being able to have this kind of passive religious experience, it, it feels more organic to how most people, especially like in America, experience mm -hmm. religion, where it isn't, you know, a constant thing. It is a... My family has a cross on the wall, or um, we've got a thing on right next to the front door to our house, or something like yeah. that. That is really the extent of it with an occasional religious holiday. So having a character, when religion deals so heavily in the game, who is a little bit more... Just I'm casual. Sort of passive, yeah. to some degree. Passive, yeah, I think having that, having that kind of dynamicism to it really feels just realistic to how most people actually experience faith. Yeah, and I, I liked that. Um, just having kind of something, something small. Um, mm -hmm. So it works well. It works really well. It real. I really like it. Thank you. So, in addition to the clan of the big catch, uh, the the other mm -hmm. members of the five piece sea share were the clan of the wild and breaded wave, the clan of prawn and batter, <laughs> the clan of hidden crispies. And the clan God of the Golden it. Hush Puppy. And they shared resources and utilized a multi-island bell system for alerts and communication. Yep. Exactly. It's worth noting, this island chain doesn't exist anymore. All of that is mm -hmm. well-built, makes total sense, and then 
ends with like a little sentence that's just like, and they suck beneath the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So due to you know also <laughs> other another type of kind of exploitation of land and that's mm-hmm. a theme in the game is uh, it there's deep sea mining, overfishing, um, rising sea levels, and increased erosion mm. on the islands. Just really ecological devastation due to you know industry and commercialism from the Gustus Imperium. So, yeah, maybe like one or two elders held out for a while, but it's all washed away now. And so they moved just to kind of like the the shitty kind of rural areas of the eastern part of the, um, the land of Yum. And so Clove doesn't remember yeah. the islands that well. And that's part of why they travel and you know they they could they don't have like a stereotypical tragic backstory with their parents but they just never felt at home and have mm-hmm. explored out from there well i i really like leaning into the wonderlust element of it yeah because i i cause so much of the time you get these characters that are deeply deeply tragic and when you're playing D uh, running it professionally now it's like Every other character is just my family died in a horrible in a horrible accident with the monsters, and now I go around slaying them. And it's just like you're gonna play the character super goofy after like two sessions. Like this this grump is not gonna last. Yeah. So I really appreciate having a surf from an almost maybe not joyous, but at the very least open minded perspective. Yeah. Where it is, I'm going out to see the world, I'm going out to experience this. I want to experience the broadest range of life possible because I don't totally feel connected. Yeah. And that is that can kind of sustain someone as an adventurer far longer. As well as gives kind of a a perspective immediately on every place that you see that can be a little more unique than um you know, what monster is here that you need me to slay? Now I move on to the next town. I'm a drifter. I'm a wanderer. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, please stop. <laughs> to reel it I don't in think it. there's actually... I don't think there's anybody in the game that has a traditional, like, D&D-style background like that. Yeah, we don't have any, uh, like, orphaned rogues. No, not not in any way. Our, our rogue is a scarecrow who's just creepy as shit. Yeah. Uh, He's he's a very interesting rogue. Yeah, even our even like the two most tragic backgrounds are like Jess's, where you have yeah. you know dealing with relocation, or just in a in a manner of speaking like Arthur's, where it's just dealing with being a part of this really really fucked up system the whole time and yeah. trying to be trying to get out of that. They're you a lot more a really nuanced. Great, yeah, you get a lot of nuance, and it's it makes it so you get these you know really strong perspectives in game that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get. Yeah, and that's been really fun and interesting and like to hear the other players, like especially Jess, like have like these really passionate like mm-hmm. opinions and dealing with their own like you know, morality and goodness, but hating this person, like that's been really amazing to be part of and to play off of and stuff because especially like clove has you know disdain towards the imperium and stuff but it's definitely in a different way it's less direct than like pepper um and i have definitely like you know clove has had a partners in the past and typically works alone and tries not to get too attached to people there's a little bit of the cliche D D backstory but um I really, I work alone. Um, I really enjoyed having them bond with Pepper and like getting to to play off Jess a lot. That's been really really cool. Cause I, I mean I've never talked to or played with Jess before this, so that's that's just been really neat. Oh yeah, there's been a really great, um, almost immediate energy that formed cause the way the way we did the setup for the game. Part of the way we did the setup for the game was like a shared session zero and then we did like a mini session with everybody uh, sort of full like not full role play or anything like that just a uh, going through and place setting is mm-hmm. kind of the way i thought about it a good portion of the one with the biblio marines the one where which you which started with you know jess chris and tw was just you all 
like bullshitting, which is exactly <laughs> the energy that I've brought to the game. So you get this immediate sense of friendship. Like truly, we played for maybe a total of thirty-ish minutes, <laughs> yeah. and it was mostly just like kind of lore questions more than anything else. Most of the time was just us like bullshitting and telling stories, and there was this immediate sense that really that instantly carried over in game of just friends talking about random shit. Yeah. So you get this really nice dynamic that even with like the discomfort that comes from John Paul or <laughs> the just very like disparate opinions, you get this really true sense of I'm gonna compare it to like pirate camaraderie yeah. right off the bat. And that's what we were going and it, for and it just happened naturally. Yeah, yeah. It just happened you just just it just happened organically and then having you all just have such strong characters right off the bat made it really easy to just throw like here's a shitty situation and just not do anything i get to just kind of throw up my hands and just go okay have fun (laughs) and just back away as you all start yelling at each other (laughs) i'm i'm very excited i'm most excited with uh because we're on video while we're like while we're recording this or while we're recording the game, we try as much as possible to be on video. Um, obviously, there's sometimes technological limitations or any limitations, whatever. But we try our best to be on there. The joy on TW's face when the, when I said the turtle shell was magic is one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> of just watching like the frustration and joy as to what the fuck does that mean? Just circle around it the, the whole shell the whole group blood. freaked the hell out and most people were kind of quiet or partially <laughs> muted so that we couldn't hear because it wasn't you know it wasn't your time so you were trying to be respectful to other players but it just is on my end i just see a score of faces just lose their mind <laughs> and it was just delightful that was amazing that was like I was not expecting that. <laughs> if you had to, like, where, what are you going to do this session? Weird magic turtle shells with a mm-hmm. bullet graze on one of them? <laughs> like, that was not what I was expecting. And I'm really excited. And that's what I really, like, because I, I've played a few games with you where you've DM'd, and you're so good mm-hmm. at, I don't know, adapting and bringing stuff like that into into the world and so it's it's been really really fun playing with you and i feel feel grateful to be in your in your circle of people that you've invited to play this because it's it's really fun (laughs) oh thank you also nick please don't cut this part uh i um no i um you played previously in at the very least i don't remember if you played in any i know you played in my doctor who game Mm -hmm. i did a while back um for i've probably talked about it before Doctor Who RPG is like my favorite tabletop RPG. Please give it a check out if you get a chance. It's so fun. It's really good. It's so fun. Um, But uh, that game especially was just me throwing problems at people that I had like... The way I thought about it was I would make... I would write 60% of the scenario. So I would have, you know... This is, you know... One of the... The first session we did was literally there's grass that's sentient (laughs) that cows are eating that the milk is being turned into chocolate and people eating the chocolate are now going to the grass to lay down and to get killed by the evil sentient grass that was the whole that's all i had but yeah but that's it that's literally everything (laughs) i had and then you all turned it into this ridiculous high octane adventure (laughs) as you got as you guys were all like arguing chris was playing the doctor at the time Mm -hmm. Which in the game is like a very high stress position to be in. It's it's much harder than any of the other characters. You have more power than any of the other characters, but you have to yeah. be responsible about it because you could easily just be like, I'm just gonna roll to see if I know that. I'm gonna roll to see. Like you could you could easily metagame the hell out of it, and instead it turned into this very almost surreal Doctor Who adventure. Yeah, as I think you resolved it by dropping your clothing all over the fire like you accidentally caught the grass how did that end i don't remember do you remember it was something like you one of you accidentally caught all the grass i remember that because i was pissed as the doctor because i thought he did it on purpose and yeah oh oh one of the players had had uh had successfully held the grass up at gunpoint Mm -hmm. he rolled incredibly well and I remember we talked. There's nothing to more it. Doctor Who than somebody holding up a gun at grass and just going, "Hold on!" and they, all the grass just being like, "Yes, yeah, sir!" <laughs> like just, just immediately leading. Yeah, I think we we talked our way out of it. I I'll never yeah. forget. Um, 
Because those and those were fun. I would always bring like jelly babies and like themed candy and stuff to mm -hmm. those sessions. And um, yeah, my doctor was like kind of like an older woman. Um, I have still the drawing somewhere, but that was really fun deciding like what they're gonna look like. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna. It was right when Jodie Whittaker was the doctor too, so I'm like, I'm gonna make mm -hmm. her a woman, and it was just cool. Um, yeah, we planned out like the TARDIS and everything too. As we yeah. were like, th you were like, you wrote up a thing, and I was sending, we were sending images back and forth. Like so we could make sure we were kinda, on the same page. Yeah, yeah, it was a really cool. It was just so much fun there. I still one of my favorite things I still think about from any game is, uh, I think in the first session you just like improvised the idea that you had a good luck whisk. Oh yeah. Like, I don't think that was planned. Nope. I think it was. It was just like I was just like a, and I'm gonna bop the good luck whisk before I head out, and it was just like a fun little thing. Yeah. And then the next session, you came and brought a whisk with you. I found a so tiny whisk. So that for the rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> for the rest of the game, everybody was anytime there was a major role, people were just bopping the good luck whisk. <laughs> it didn't like there was no planning of that. There, it just organically happened of just this very weird, very very Doctor Who thing of just yeah. characters bopping a whisk before rushing off for adventure. <laughs> I remember someone bopped it like too many times and you're like, it feels hollow. <laughs> <laughs> when, oh my God. I'll never forget what I still have the little like card that you would write on to give me the information. Like for clarity on that, actually, I just want to just cause for people who don't know how the game works, oh, yeah. uh, you don't, I don't give exposition. Like in D and D, if someone's like, Oh, what's this? Generally, I just give you exposition. I will say out loud, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, or if I'm being secretive about it, I'll be like, I'm going to send you a DM. Like, very rarely, occasionally, you know, I'll pull you into a side chat or something. That that occasionally, occasionally happens. In Doctor Who, you're basically never supposed to give exposition that is <laughs> character-specific. You're supposed to write it down and give it to them, and they have to express it however they want. They're, it's their job to actually explain what's happening to the group. And that was really fun. And it's a very character-driven game which is really like very role play driven which is cool and I remember so there ended up being this like giant endangered like space turtle and they were taking its eggs and I, at one point we didn't know that yet and I tasted one of the eggs and it was like the, I, I, I don't remember exactly but you wrote this poetic like it tastes like the continued like loss of potential and like a mother's sadness <laughs> oh my god I, I just was like <laughs> so specific and devastating and I still I have it somewhere I kept that card because I'm like oh my god I remember just feeling so like guys we have to help <laughs> and like, but what yeah, happened? There was a like I can't explain <laughs> yeah there was there was a turn upon handing that card where Chris was so excited uh, <laughs> as, she, as, as they went to like taste this egg on the this random thing on the ground and immediately just hand the card and you get through like the first sentence is just tragic and you see the immediate like face fall yep and what it does which is really cool because you do the cards is you have this thing where the other players get a sincere emotional response before they get exposition yeah so you have everybody could see you look because we were playing in person around a real table everyone could see the look of sadness on your face <laughs> as you were just like oh no this is bad guys and you never ex really explained it. I mean, you explained after game, but never in game did you explain what you experienced. Yeah. There was just this deep sadness that now carried through all your other choices that made it. And the players all kind of knew that. It just, it just added this really nice dynamicism to it. I actually have on my wall right now in front of me, I have one of the players. Um, I got by the name of Mike. He... Um, Okay, uh, guy by the name Mike. He he is a streamer occasionally under the name Rad King. Check him out; super cool dude. But he was playing in the game as this very like wacky detective. Patches. And for whatever reason, he made it so that everywhere he went, he would say he was on undercover boss. That was his cop out for how he'd get into any room, anytime. And it rolled nicely a couple times, so it just became a fun gag. Like as a you know, as someone who wants to just keep promoting that, like okay, that's a fun gag. That's Undercover Boss is the most popular show in the galaxy, apparently. Like, that's that's what we kind of established. But I have one where he just surprised me with it, where he just wrote it down. He's like, I don't want to say it out loud. I'm just going to pass you with a note I'm passing to this alien middle manager. Slides it across to me. And it just and it just says, uh, I'm from upper management. I'm on Undercover Boss. And I am impressed. 
And it was just like the perfect thing. And I think I made him roll on it because I was just so flabbergasted. And I'm pretty sure that's the one time he ever failed. As people, as then now he's being chased by these weird like spider, like, no, scorpion people. That was like my first thing with scorpion people. Because I, I love scorpion people. Scorpion people are so cool. Uh, but he, he pissed off the scorpion managers there. Oh and they God. began to hunt him down. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it was a that was a super fun game. Um, I, I've been running it currently, and it's I'm about to do a Friar Festival one. Ooh! If you remember that festival that happened, yes. Uh, the the core idea because this is gonna air after that session. <laughs> the core idea of it is that they discover the Friar Festival, and it's like an actual festival going on. And the guy who started the Friar Festival was actually indebted to, I'm going to make it like Time Bandits or something along those lines. So as it goes along, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse because Time Bandits keep <laughs> repoing all of the parts of it as he's in debt to them. And that's where, and that's why they, like that's people why are eating disaster. only sandwiches and not, yeah, that's why it's a disaster is there, is they keep doing that. Uh, I also weirdly established the master has two companions and both of them are the both of them are the two main guys from the Kentucky Goblins attack. <laughs> I don't really know why that happened, but that is what happened. Because of course. Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm to kind of circle back to like the acting idea to a mm -hmm. certain degree. Um, obviously you can't really share, but I'm curious. Did you do like the secret method? You know where you have where you make the real the secret of your the the mo the secret motivation behind the character. This is their dark secret kind of thing. Did you make one for Clove the same way a lot of actors you know actors will do for um, scripts they have or anything like that? Um, sort of. I do have definitely like Clove's kind of. It's not really like that dark of a secret, but a secret motivation even subconsciously to Clove, is that they're looking, like, collecting all this information and going to all these places, also sort of to find parts of their original home that they can never really go back to or find. Mm -hmm. um, and because, like, you know, all that information's lost. Or the culture that they should have had isn't in existence anymore and never will be. So mm -hmm. finding parts of that... Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that's kind of behind it all and definitely being slightly resistant to opening up to people and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but nothing, nothing quite as specific and dramatic, I think. That's fair. I'm, I, yeah, the, the islands are just such a fun addition and <laughs> being able to tie that, seriously, being able to tie that in and it gives a... Anytime anyone gives you as much lore as you did and as much nuance as you did, um, it gives the DM so much freedom to incorporate that in weird ways. Yeah. So a lot of times, you if you give me a range of islands that you're from, then I get to go, okay, and build out. There's, there, you're, you're not the only person who gives a shit about this. You can't be. So having a million different, <laughs> how, what kind of NPCs care about this, and how do I incorporate that into other things, and what are the other, do any of the other characters have ties to this thing? Why would they have ties to it? Yeah. So trying to build that out. There's a whole elaborate thing with. Um, I had before Chris named before you named your character. Uh, uh, Right before you sent me your character name, your character thing, all that kind of stuff, I had gone through and you know, planned out all of the races you could pick to play in the game. I had sent like this long document of like this is the these are the option these are the options, um, you know this is these are the original ones if you want to take a look at any of these yada yada, and I had kind of without telling anybody basically been like these are the naming conventions I'm going to use because. I'm not the biggest fan of tabaxi naming conventions in D&D. &D. I'm just not, personally. Mm -hmm. And before I could send out, because I was like, oh, i got to send something out about that, Chris gave me their character with their full name, and I was like, that's fucking dope. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what's your full name? Isn't it Clove of Milk and Honey? Uh, is that what it is? Fang of Clover Honey. And Fang of Clover Honey. Yeah, and so part of that is so um, they have one gold tooth, so it kind of, like, it's pretty apt in that way. But also, I just mm -hmm. decided that 
you know, when they were a kid, especially, that's how they kind of got the name. In the first place is they just had, like, a real big sweet tooth and would always, like... Oh, okay. Go after the the honey and stuff that they had. Um, you know, they had a little bit of, of honey on the islands and stuff and bees. Mm. And so that was kind of how, especially because... It, it ties into the gold tooth. Maybe that's how they lost it is by eating too yeah. much sugar or something. But either way, they had a, a literal and figurative sweet tooth. And so Fang of Clover Honey was the the name in the end. And yeah, they don't give their full name that much, but... Uh, it's a great... But I like yeah, but it. The, the issue on my end is it's such a good name that I couldn't be like, rename your character. It was... <laughs> Because if you had given me just, like, a general tabaxi name, I would have been like, oh, I'm so sorry, I should have told you we're going to use, like, these naming conventions instead. Because uh, every, almost every other, like, tabaxi or any any animal folk that you, like, tabaxi gnolls or leonin that you run into, I, I use the leonin naming conventions because I just like them more mm-hmm. personally. But because you went with that naming convention, I had to go through and be like, well, why are they having this naming convention? Like, what is the deciding trait behind how people are named? Was like this really, so it ended up turning this weird, like, linguistic thing that I ended up going through and doing of breaking down why, what's the schism that caused the name changing? What caused this pattern to change? And trying to find this really elaborate not elaborate, but this really grounded explanation for why you can have, like, two Leonins next to each other and one has a name like you do and one has a name more in line with how, like, Arthur Great means name is Yeah, that's cool. Well, and I think it really makes sense between, like, where... I mean, that's very, very different cultures and areas and, like, an island change is more isolated, so it would make sense if they had their own more specific naming conventions. Um, oh, yeah. And I like having it be abbreviated to clove. Like, that's, you know, it's not... Because a lot of tabaxi names, yeah, like wind of lightning and... Th- I don't know. It feels like a lot of them feel to me like really bad impressions of, like, native names. Exactly. Is what it always struck me as. Yep. Which is why I was like, oh, I'm just going to cut them. Like, it's like, th- like, there's already so much political stuff in here. I'm too white to pretend to understand native naming structure. So, uh, and I mean, there's, there's no one native naming structure to be clear. So I was just like, I'm not, I can't go through and learn 30 different tribes just so I can upset 30 other tribes. Uh, (laughs) This is, this is not my intent here. So I, I was just like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do this. And it's immediately, you were just like, you found the coolest name you could possibly go with for it. And I was just like, God damn it. Okay. I'll, I'll put work in and fix it. I'm not good at naming. And so I was looking at the like tabaxi name generators online and they were all so bad. That's so like, terrible. They were exactly like you said, just like a bad impression of like indigenous naming conventions that someone mm-hmm. imagined because of one like movie they saw from the sixties or something. Like Oh yeah, they saw Marlon Brando at the Oscars and they just called it a day. Yeah, and now exactly. it's just exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I liked having it be based off of just something fun on the island and go by clove most of the time, and that, that works for me. For sure. I, on the subject of bad names, I am, you're, you're, I, I think you've had, like, partially, like, the luxury, because you're an actor, where you don't have to name your stuff too much. Yeah. So you get, like, the freedom of just being, like, oh, like, my character's this name, whatever, and, like, kind of, kind of rolling with it. Oh, yeah, it's the best. um, (laughs) Yeah, and even with, like, tabletop games, it's, you can kind of come up with a little bit of a cliche name, and it still sounds dope as hell in the moment, and nobody cares. Yeah. You know, like, you have a good pun for your name, and absolutely everybody's fine with it. (laughs) Yep. Um. I, I still love uh, me and uh, TW when we were coming up with John Paul, uh, when he was coming up with John Paul Pierre Martin, um, <laughs> we wanted to make fun of the like Cho Chang naming structure <laughs> of just taking two first names. So we went through and looked at every French first name that we could think of and then lined <laughs> it up as one long name, which is why the name is John Paul Pierre Martin. <laughs> There's amazing. no last name there. It's just straight French first names because we thought that would be just amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I, I've always, I'm way, I'm terrible about naming characters, and I only really recently, within the last, like, year, couple of year, couple of years, started using naming generators for while I'm playing. Mm-hmm. It's super invaluable, highly recommend it for anybody who DMs, 
keep naming generators open. <laughs> Please do. Uh, your life will be so much better. I, in the in, in the uh, Doctor Who game, excuse me, we had an issue where I, for some reason my brain my brain would just fall apart while I'm trying to keep track of everything else, and they would just go up to some random character and be like, "Oh, who are you?" And I would just be like, "Clementine," and just. I think every session had a character named Clementine. By the end, it was a bit, but it was truly just covering up for my inability to think of any other names. It was just, it's a Clementine too. What do you, you know? We lasted long enough, there probably would have been a conspiracy with why there are so many Clementines in the universe. There probably would have eventually been some tie-in with it, but it was uh, it was truly just a, a, a joke that evolved out of my natural laziness. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's the one negative with being because I'm a very l- talking about this game makes it seem like I'm not. I'm a very very low prep GM. Uh, when possible, I do zero prep work, and I'm just like, "What did you do last week? Okay, what are you gonna do this week?" So, yeah, finding those like cheats of this is you know this is what a book looks this this is what a name sounds like this is where I can go for that and having those ready and accessible really make it possible to do it the way that I do it because otherwise I would just be constantly falling apart <laughs> well, you would just have characters just constantly stammering through until they found a name that hadn't been used yet but it works well because I mean otherwise how else could you have adapted to a goblin riot the first first yeah. session you yeah know? Yeah, that that's a really great example of like I knew two groups. All I all I I knew like the motivation of the event that was happening. I knew a couple of the people at the event, and I knew I I like knew like ties and stuff that was happening there. And I knew what groups were going to be the, your group and the other group that was going to be there, uh, the Biblio Marines, excuse me, and the uh, Dynasty members that were going to be there. So I basically let it just happen from there and just allowed you to get up to whatever nonsense and i forgot how truly batshit insane half of you are as it was like oh yeah we're starting the session with one of you in a dinosaur bone which is one of the like in 30 minutes of of prep play that was one of the few things that was thoroughly established was can i hide in a dinosaur bone and it's like i guess yeah yeah sure yeah why not yeah you can hide in dinosaur bone there's dinosaurs down here. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I love I love dinosaurs in D and D. We should have more dinosaurs in D and D. Just in general. They shouldn't just be in Cholt. Hundred percent. Yeah. I found this game that I want to play so bad. That is. Did you Did you ever see the show? Oh God, what's it called? Oh, oh God, it was like a CBS show. I think CBS or Fox. Dinotopia. Where it's like travel. No, I love Dinotopia. We've talked about Dinotopia to the point where we've made other people upset around us because we talked so much about Dinotopia. <laughs> I love Dinotopia. Um, no, there was a show that we... There's a show from... I think it's not Primeval. It's, like, it was a Fox show, I think, from, like, 2010, 11, oh. where people were traveling back in time because they had ruined the future. So you're traveling back in time to the age of the dinosaurs because that way they could... Humans could survive still. Oh. I don't... It's a terrible show. To no, be clear. it sounds amazing like my kind of premise, trash, though. Truly amazing premise. Horrible, horrible show. But somebody found a, a couple of people have made games out of it, oh. and I want to play it so bad. I've never wanted to run anything more than with like time terrorist fighting while riding cybernetically upgraded dinosaurs. That is such a solid pitch of a game, dude. I want to be part of that. Yeah, that looks amazing. Oh, and I found this. Uh, I'm sorry, this is truly what 90% of my conversations are, is just me saying, I found this cool game that I want to play and I'll probably never play. <laughs> but, um, there's, and then me being like, wow, that sounds really cool. That sounds really cool. One day, one day. Uh, there's a great, great game somebody made called, oh, what's the thing they call raptors in Jurassic Park? Where there's like the, oh. when they're trying to saw, calm them down. There's the, it's like, it's not Hello Darling. It's like, it's there's some there's something, there's some kind of thing like that. If I can remember the name, I will make sure it gets added to the uh, description of this thing. But somebody made a game where you play raptors hunting people trying to escape a Jurassic Park. (laughs) And it's beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. I've never wanted to play a game, run a game, or just play a game more than when I can just be raptors hunting people. That sounds absolutely delightful. That sounds delightful. What themed food would I bring to that game, I wonder? Probably pork. Yeah. Because it's... 
what what people smell like when they burn. <laughs> wow, that sorry, that got real dark. <laughs> you have to keep track of this stuff when you DM. You have to know. You'd be surprised how many times people are caught on fire in games, and then people go, "What does it smell like?" People are morbidly curious, and my job is to know that information and to live with it. <laughs> That's my job. Uh, is it? Pork? Yeah, there's. I, from what I understand, it is supposed to smell like pork. That it smells it, it, that a per, that a person burning that they, it smells comparable to how pork smells when it's cooking. Man. And a lot of people get real uncomfortable, like because it because you just if you it makes eat you pork hungry. and you like the smell of pork, it makes you hungry. Yeah. And now there's a whole lot of guilt built into you over the fact that you had like a natural biological response to something that is like really fucked up. Oh wow. Yeah. Did not think this was where this was going to go. <laughs> the more you know. Uh, one of the other things I was curious about, because we've talked a little bit about it, um, in that I berated you while you were sick about this. <laughs> but I was curious how, how it feels, how your character has changed now that you live in a post-Paddington 2 world. Oh. So I was curious if there's been any impact on your character as a, like, fuzzy, kind-hearted person who just wants to explore and make things better. Now that you've seen... Paddington too. I'm curious if there's been any change. Yes, well, I think one one thing that's really charming, I mean, Paddington 2 will change you for the better regardless of who you are. Oh, yeah, it's truly a perfect movie. Um, I think Paddington definitely has a sort of uh, a sort of like innocence that's not cloying, it's just sincere. Like, a, mm -hmm. Paddington will take you at face value you know when someone says something he doesn't understand if they're being sarcastic or trying to make him feel bad he's very like oh okay and i think that mm -hmm. that's a really a really charming quality and not one that clove has necessarily just one that i think uh we can all we can all kind of learn from and i think maybe that is one thing that separates clove from paddington is uh the fact that that ability to be naive about the world is gone absolutely that's that yeah that's fair um but thank you for taking that question seriously of course i, I mean i love paddington it's so good yeah it's irresponsibly good <laughs> it's it, irresponsibly good i've been telling everyone at work about it and they're like i don't know maybe my kid would want to watch yeah, it and i'm like it's so Everybody should see it. it. Paddington, Paddington one's very good, and then Paddington two is one of the finest pieces of filmmaking. And you have this thing where you sound like a lunatic as you're going up. People just be like, "Please see Paddington two. It's really that good. <laughs> yeah. Like it really is it that really good." Is. You have Hugh Grant like at, deserved an Oscar for his for, performance. For fucking Paddington two, I know. There's scenes where he's just by himself acting against <gasps> himself, doing a variety of cheesy accents. That is legitimately some of the best acting I've ever seen. <laughs> it's oh, just real. so... He he, perfect... Oh, it's so good. Um, well, also being a scathing indictment of the current justice system. and Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going on in Paddington 2? I cannot wait for the next one. If it's not about the DHS, I will be very disappointed. Yep, that's what we determined uh, it was going to be about. That's They're going to tackle the healthcare system in this Paddington. Absolutely. I guess, I guess, you know, I realize I, I, I didn't really ask too much, but what I'm curious, because we've talked a little bit about it and we've like done art stuff together before from like an acting perspective. So without like the benefits of a script in front of you, because there, you know, there's not like, there's no planned, everyone's why we might plan out like just for safety reasons, plan out a scene or something like that. But generally speaking, we, there's no, like I'm a zero prep GM. Yeah. Uh, I do not, I do not plan out what's going to happen. I just allow you to do whatever you want. With this, what does the actual process look like of making a character? What is yeah, that's especially with question. your acting background. I'm really curious as to how that changes when you have no real you you have basically full freedom. Like they, you were given like the themes of the game and kind of a sense of the world, but your character was made before you got your lore documents. Like before you knew really all that much of detail. You knew like these are corners in the world. And mm -hmm. I think you got a text from me at like two in the morning once that was like, do you think Bibliomarine sounds cool? Yeah. Uh, and that was like the extent of it. Yeah, you were like, do you want to be a pirate? And I'm like, do I want to be? Of course I want to be a fucking pirate, <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> oh, before you answer, I do want to say uh, 
the other night I was super tired, just really exhausted, and I was watching the new show. No, no, it's not new anymore. It's five seasons in. I was watching Raven's Home because I've never seen it. Oh, and yeah, Chris would have got a text message me. Yeah. Chris got a text from me at like one in the morning. That well, two texts went a row. First one was just. Wow, Raven Simone is really abusive in this. Followed up immediately with, oh, wrong number. And <laughs> just, honestly, just I just accepted it. Even if you didn't say wrong number, I would have just been like, oh, yeah, that's this, a Jacob text. That doesn't, that, this doesn't need response. Let's talk totally. about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, let's unpack Raven Simone. <laughs> yeah, let's unpack this and just kind of codify the language we're using around Raven Simone. <laughs> but I am, I, I do want to kind of end on, because it's, Hopefully, people listening to this are you know play the games, and it can be really beneficial to know, you know what an act, what character building actually looks like. Because so much of it, there's like a real focus on like mechanical side yeah. of it, which isn't invaluable by any means, but it kind of takes away from a game where most of your time is going to be spent pretending to be somebody else and making decisions as somebody else. If you purely focus on it mechanically. So I'm curious, and I know you don't approach it from that angle, so that's why I'm curious, where, how did you, like, approach the character of Clove? Where did it, where did it come from? How did you, how did you build that with, honestly, not that much information to begin with? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, for this, the purpose of this, I think I chose, I knew I wanted to play a character that was similar enough to me that I could make natural split second decisions that would be in service of the story overall just because we're playing a game that people are going to listen to and stuff you know I Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that my character was at least set up in some way to interact with the world and the other people playing you know I wasn't Mm going to create like an evil loner who doesn't want to be on the adventure. <laughs> like, you know, so I think I, I was trying to start from a point of like openness. And then also, I guess in a certain way, like that so lended funny. itself to my strengths and thought processes as just a person. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I felt like that would be a little bit easier to, integrate more naturally and interact in such an unknown environment with people I've never met. Um, so I guess kind of just starting from that point a little bit. So some, someone a little bit more like charisma and dexterity based, um, not as much of like a serious kind of paladin type or like a, mm. you know, I, I, so cause just cause those are, characters that I tend to like to play and that I play well and that when I kind of do LARP type things in real life I tend to make characters that are more of like charisma based kind of characters um Uh and so I guess I felt like that would lend itself to this and then I chose the class that I wanted to be which were so cool I don't know if you have made those all available for everyone to read, but Jacob yeah, you can did read them all an insanely on... good job with <laughs> elaborate Thank you. custom classes for this whole world. It was insane. And so I was really struggling on what I wanted to be there, and then I decided to go with the Bard because I had a sort of traveling salesman idea to do with mm-hmm. the corporate synergy thing. Um and then, yeah, I guess it just kind of developed from there. So I, for this particularly, I think I focused a little more on a character that would be fun to play and that would have something to offer um, mm-hmm. in this world. But yeah, I think it, it just kind of started there. And um, once I chose the bard, I was like, well, this is perfect. I'll do kind of a more like charisma <laughs> and dex kind of character and, and decided to be a tabaxi. And then from there, just kind of... I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I got the Long John Silver's idea and started building that all up. And, um, I'd been playing Red Dead Redemption 2 a lot and Uh was kind of imagining, since it is sort of that era of the world, someone Uh that maybe like traveled by train selling their wares kind of thing. And then you had the pirate idea. I'm like, well, that's fucking perfect. Um, (laughs) so, so yeah. And then that kind of, altered things a little bit in terms of like just how I envision the character and what they do Mm -hmm. basically. Um, Oh, for sure. 
so yeah, I think I it was part building a character that lent itself to a natural kind of decision making for me personally, and then also making them maybe a little bit less good than I would be in real life or that I would normally play. I wanted to have them be a little bit more of a chaotic neutral mm-hmm. um, than than a chaotic good, which is what I've feel like I've tended to play more of in the past. So that, that was fun. I, I mean, you know, you want to play someone a little different than you, but that's enough of you that it's fun to express that part of yourself. I think at least for me, that's kind of what I was going for. Oh, for sure. It, and it, it comes across, it makes for a really fun character. It makes for, you're really good at being able to make split second decisions in the moment that make for good role play and allow the situation to like evolve and, ways that are just exciting to watch thanks Uh, yeah it's always nice knowing because it's so much of playing and so much of role playing is finding the characters as you play and the most confidence inducing thing for me for doing this was how quickly the players jumped to we are going to hide one of our people in dinosaur boat (laughs) and that immediately if you can make characters that feel comfortable making that decision after so little time, you've probably made a good character. Yeah. But that is all the time that we have. Thank you. I don't know why I did a voice there. I apologize to everybody listening. Thank you all so much for, for listening. Thank you, Chris, for taking the time here to speak to me. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's so weird saying that to someone who's, like, your actual friend. Yeah, right. Uh, it's uh, it's such an uncomfortable way to end a conversation. Is like, thank you for taking time to speak with me. I'm going to talk to her after this. Like, it's yeah, going right? to, for a couple minutes at the very least. We can let all, a, it, a clip from, from Mac and me play us out. <laughs> Just coming for the Paul run. I queued it up. Please keep watching. <laughs> this show is made possible thanks to listeners like you. For more great Cheesy Gordita Network content, follow us on social media or go to CheesyGorditaNetwork.com to stay up to date. Thank you for your support and stay Baja blessed.